0: Thank yeah. you. Saludos a los fantásticos de Grapple y bienvenidos a la última edición de Visiones de Pantalla Platida, una serie dentro del podcast Let Me Tell You Something en la que su su conflitrion, Lorca Mullen, y su otro conflitrion. Me
1: llamo Simon Cross.
0: Encuente una película de una serie de televisión que involucre de la lucha libre I'm
1: afraid this is where my GCSE uh, Spanish has su- significantly rusted within my brain. So I- I'm going switch- to switch back to my native tongue and say, yeah, we are about to watch Santo, El Santo to be precise, and the Blue Demon take on The Monsters and what a collection of monsters they have for you.
0: So I'm not even sure if I'll be able to put in an audio clip in between that introduction and this conversation. Oh, by the way, I'm now back to my native tongue. As you said, we'd like to cover the wide world of pro wrestling and also the wide world of pro wrestling cinema. After covering some British wrestling movies and, and a TV show and we will soon be covering American uh, wrestling, the notion of a genre of wrestling pictures if it comes from anywhere it comes from mexico oh yes so el santo is so significant a cultural figure in mexico that i think you can make the case that he might be the biggest wrestling star of all time insofar as what he means to the people that followed him as a wrestler He's definitely the
1: wrestler with the biggest cultural imprint of all time. I think that's how I'd term it. I think
0: it's between him and Ricky Dozan. Mm. But I don't know that Ricky Dozan is as prominent a figure in modern Japanese culture now as El Santo remains in Mexican culture to this day. If you need evidence on a cinematic level as to the importance of El Santo, the fact that he makes an appearance in Coco, the Pixar movie of a couple of years ago, Really tells you all you need to know about how he still lingers in the memory of Mexican culture, which is what that film is ultimately all about, how we linger in people's memories. Wouldn't you agree, Simon?
1: I I would. I I haven't seen a lot of Coco, just like little clips. But the fact, like you say, that Al Santo is in it is a nod to his lasting legacy the fact that coco whilst a mexican orientated film is made for a global audience just shows the reverence that al santo had they wouldn't just put any luchador
0: in there it would be al santo and he's deliberately like said to be al santo they say his name and he's designed as al santo with the silver mask and everything and to give Pixar and Disney, what little credit you can give them. They do have things now, if you look at the cult credits for these films, they have, like, cultural coordinators. I don't know what would be the best way to describe it, but people mm. of that culture that will tell them what things need to be added. Cultural to, consultants? Maybe, that's what they're called, I don't know. But that's what needs to be added in order for it to resonate. You know, you have recently with Encanto, which I think is Colombian, I believe? I think so. Obviously, before that, you had Moana, which was about Polynesian culture. And just whatever other culture that Disney can pillage and mine for their own corporate creed. We say, as we now talk about a film that we managed to watch for free on YouTube. Yes, and as two British males, let's face it. Yeah, and I don't want this... Like, It's very easy to watch this film and do the Mystery Science Theatre 3000, or best of worst of British, if you may allow me to do a little plug of myself. Thing of just ripping it apart and laughing at it and a lot of it is amusing it is funny to watch with 2022 eyes but what is curious is to watch it and try to understand why it would have been so popular, why this is one of 50 movies that El Santo made during his time as a professional wrestler and also the Blue Demon made Blue Demon was a movie star in and of himself I will say what I was expecting going into this was maybe something that was structured along the lines of Batman and Robin. Okay. The Adam West TV series, but with a more supernatural element to it with the introduction of the monsters, which are... Yeah. Obviously, by the 70s, these monsters that we see in the film, you know, you've got your Dracula's, your mummies, your Frankenstein's monster. Your lady vampire. The Wolfman, of course. Those will always be linked to the universal horror movies and that is especially with the Frankenstein design that is very much where they're going for that and I know it's Frankenstein's monster but it will be interchangeable for the sake of this episode but also by this time especially when you're thinking with the colour you also get hammer horror films that were also popular around this time as well.
1: Yeah yeah there is a lot of hammer horror stroke it's you know the sci-fi channel like it Yeah, there's a a lot of that sort of vibe
0: around this film. I suppose one of the reasons also I was going in with the sort of Batman and Robin was sort of, I guess, the double act element to it. But what is funny about it, actually, is that very early on, Blue Demon is taken out of the equation and throughout the rest of the movie it is an evil duplicate of him yes. that is under the control of the mad scientists. And what that allows us is Blue Demon to fight El Santo, but they're, they're, they're best chums by the end of the movie anyway. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, it's a way of him turning heel without turning heel.
0: And also, I do wonder with those sort of things, especially when, when it's someone that is such a big figure of the culture and the overriding one, and like you can you always feel like there's that again with the Batman and Robin who's Batman who's Robin El Santo's Batman and then does that make Blue Demon Robin and it is a case that ultimately who comes out the winner and it's like who will always be second banana you know thinking of other equivalents of that would be like is uh, the dynamic between uh, El Santo and Blue Demon similar to that of like uh, Antonio Inoki and Tatsumi Fujinami yeah or Giant Baba and Jumbo Saruta or Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. Yeah. That clear number one, number two delineation and it never is allowed to switch. But what's been fascinating going into this, I don't know much of anything about El Santo. And when I started reading into it, he started making movies in the nineteen fifties. First as like a supporting character in like low budget film made in Cuba, but he was still in a mask. He was like a special secret agent, but he was still wearing a mask. <laughs> I mean no one knows what he looks like. And <laughs> he's undercover. You look suspiciously like that guy who does undercover business who also wears a mask all the time. I have no idea what you are talking about. <laughs> There's also some James Bond element to this as well. With this, What was curious reading into it was that even when he was making those films in the 50s, in the ring, El Santo was a Rudo right up until 1962. So deep into his time... He was a comic book character fighting criminals and everything in the mid 50s. He was a movie star fighting evil criminals and then later supernatural beings in the 50s. But it didn't, you know, this is only eight years into his babyface run. Now, a lot of the great babyfaces do start off before then with a heel run before they make the turn, like Hogan in the territories before he turns in the AWA to the babyface figure. Yeah, with
1: kayfabe being what it was, certainly in Mexico around that time, it does surprise me he was sort of living a split personality then between his film life and his ring life.
0: The whole point of El Santo is that his film life, his ring life, his life-life were not interchangeable. They were all part of one thing. He was always seen out in public in his mask. He would never, you know... Loses his mask. He would appear in interviews in The Mask, but he would also be playing that character and within this cinematic world. He is El Santo the wrestler, but he's also El Santo the crime fighter and, and man of the people. Deputised sheriff. <laughs> Deputised sheriff
1: and scientist it seems in this film. You do remind me of a chapter of Eddie Guerrero's autobiography where they coordinate Uh, el santo visiting uh, his dad's house for a barbecue and the amount of like planning that had to go into it to make sure el santo was not seen as not el
0: santo but that was that was what made it curious when i read further into it with the dynamic of their relationship with el santo and blue demon blue demon was the technico fought the rudo santo and beat him and that that was something that kind of always lingered in their relationship. That even though Santo, when he turned babyface, was like the tippy top guy of Mexican wrestling, that apparently like that always like lingered in the background. That they'd had that match, but Blue Demon, to the best of my knowledge, never turned Rudo. So weirdly, it's like being the opposite of Hogan Savage, where Savage has all the pinfall wins over Hogan, and Hogan never got that revenge win. Or or that Savage never turned heel for Hogan to be the virtuous babyface.
1: I would suppose it would give, like, Blue Demon a level of legitimacy that a lot of other
0: uh, luchas wouldn't have. Well, I guess that allowed him to be, like, a number two star. Really, within Mexican wrestling, the three biggest stars of that era are El Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaras. Mascaras, thanks to the fact that he also was doing movies along with those two guys, but Mascaras also ventured abroad, like he was the biggest Mexican wrestler in Japan, he would wrestle in Madison Square Garden, he would, he was the most well-known Mexican wrestler in, in America, and in Canada, and Japan, so whilst his status within Mexico is more like number three, it's like, it's kind of like how among the Three Musketeers, Shinya Hashimoto within Japan is seen as the biggest star of the three, but because it was especially Muta, but also Chono that had more prominence in two american audiences muto for his run in the late 80s early 90s chono for being the leader of nwo japan the two outside japanese audiences they're a bigger deal than hashimoto who was really always a japanese star it
1: shows a lack of marketability to a different audience because they because mill and chono and muto went out there to get different audiences where it strikes me as santo was a man of of mexico he stayed in mexico he was mr mexico i almost think that maybe like hulk hogan's mr america
0: sort of was patterned after
1: the El santo mask quite possibly there's a
0: cur- yeah there is a curious whole patriotism being the the embodiment of america that hogan leaned into more than any other big star of that to ever really come out of American wrestling, I suppose. Well, you had it with the New York stars like Bruno Sammartino and Pedro Morales, but that was like the immigrants American, so it was like American, but it was like Italian Americans and Mexican Americans or Polish Americans or Irish Americans.
1: Sort of like the American dream come to life because they came from overseas.
0: Mm. But let's go back to El Santo and let's go back to this movie. So, this movie, it's... (sighs) You, like I said, you can do the MST3K sit and laugh, and I was doing that at moments, because there are moments where it is hysterical. Like, there's, you know, there's that famous footage of, um, well, I mean, there's been several instances, but maybe the most famous one is when Lou Ferrigno plays Hercules in a movie, and he's fighting a grizzly bear, and then he throws the grizzly bear into outer space. <laughs> and very visibly, there's that cut where suddenly it's a stuffed bear. Yes. Like there's a moment towards the end of this where El Santo throws someone over it, and the dummy, like, it's like a three-foot It's like a sex Is this the bit on top of the restaurant where he
1: chucks him over no, the. No, we'll ledge.
0: get to... it might be the restaurant. Yeah. Well, there is one thing that bothers me about the restaurant thing as well, because yeah, I think maybe you're right, because he does throw someone over. He throws the mummy, doesn't That's he? It. He throws the That's mummy it. over over the ledge and he falls to the ground. And then santo when he's cornered by two of the zombie like henchmen jumps over the ledge and there's suddenly like one of those canopies there but it's like you literally threw the (laughs) mummy where they're like damn it we should have put the canopy up another person died and then santo sees it's like oh thank god they put the canopy up (laughs) i know i forgot to do something i just can't put my finger on what yeah, so there's there's all these cheesy B movie elements. I think with what what it was was it's just let's get these out because like I said, Santo did like 50 films in a very relatively short space of time whilst also having a full time wrestling career. And so it is just like let's chuck in a load of fight scenes, let's put in some footage of of Blue Demon and of El Santo wrestling in Arena Mexico. And is it 78 minutes? Yep, then it's a movie. Yeah, when you're told to write story. For every moment, every movement in the plot as it goes along, it should be followed by therefore or but. So it's like um, the Rebel Alliance have been have been uh, captured by the Empire. Therefore, Leia needs to send a message out to Obi Wan to help them. Therefore, she finds the two service droids that will get ignored, and sends a message for them. But. They get stuck in the middle of nowhere. They get they land in the wrong place. Therefore, they get caught by junkers and are put up for sale. But Luke Skywalker purchases them and he also has a connection with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Therefore, he goes and checks. So the, With this, is just... And then they attack them here. And then they run away. And then Santo goes for a meal. Yeah. With the professor and his daughter.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> and they run his off. daughter... Uh, professor's daughter slash his missus. Which makes these scenes with the lady vampire quite later on a little bit...
0: Well, that's kind of where I think the James Bond influence starts to come in. Yeah. Because it is that sense of El Santo has to be like the ladies' man. But that is brilliant, as you say, when uh sunny's like... Dracula create brings out his sexy... It's funny, of all the things that, like, Dracula gets adapted into in all these different variants, it seems like the one thing... If it's all possible, they tried to keep from the source novel or his three brides. I don't know why that scene is like, why is it that they always seem to be, find a way to get these three sexy lady vampires in? That's because sex sells,
1: muchacha.
0: <laughs> Even in the film that I watched for um, another podcast, Dracula 2000, they managed to get the brides of Dracula into it, and one of them was seven of nine. But she was one of three in that end situation. Oh,
1: and the numbers spell disaster for us at sacrifice.
0: <laughs> it's, and it's just those hilarious little B-movie tricks where the budget's so low. So you've got Dracula in all these film, all these scenes, fighting them. But it's clearly broad daylight yeah. to the whole times.
1: Yeah, they couldn't afford lighting rigs, it seemed. I was going to say, and also, whenever he flies away, it's like this strange transition thing where he changes A into a bat shape. And then separately into, like, a bat. But it's always some, like, close-up footage they've got of a bat, which never really matches the location they're in.
0: Oh, man, how many times do they cut to that close-up of the Cyclops just opening and closing its mouth a bit? Regardless of if it's indoors or outdoors, they'll cut to that bit.
1: Yeah, it's like they always film it in, like, it's always in the cave. The backdrop's the cave mm. or something like that, whenever he's open or closing his mouth. And they could be
0: anywhere in Mexico... But just cave wall. Just appears. I'm going to send you a little challenge now, Simon. Because I didn't take notes. Did you take I did. Notes? I did, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. I'll give you... You've got 90 seconds. I'll start a stopwatch. To sum up the plot of the movie. Alright, count me in. Three, two,
1: one, go. Alright, so basically there's these wrestlers. And it transpires that... The rest, uh, El Santo is going out with the daughter of a very famous professor who has an evil brother. That evil brother is obsessed with re- reanimating the dead and uh, does so successfully. And in the process, somehow manages to magically create these monsters. El Santo and Blue, De- Blue Demon goes finds stumbles across this, goes out to investigate, gets captured and cloned. Uh, And then the rest of the movie is basically Al Santo's efforts to overcome this. And once he discovers what exactly has happened to his friend, who he doesn't initially realise is a clone, rescue his friend as well. And there's some special effects. And that's it, essentially.
0: Wow, you needed less than half the time to sum it up.
1: Well, because you use the term plot, but it's sewn on to the end of this. Like it's like a name tag in a kid's school
0: jumper. The plot. Or I, I was—I sh- genuinely looked away and looked back up, and the credits were rolling, and I was like, "Hang on, that can't possibly be right." Yeah. I
1: was going to say just before the credits roll as well. There's another like we only had one shot of this as, as the castle's
0: burning. It's like that'll
1: do. That'll do.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. What I will say though is that I can get why these were popular. If you're like people that you know. Maybe cinema is just like a, a little adventure within yourself. We don't have the sophisticated special effects, so you take it or leave it for what it is. For what you get with spectacle, it is relentless action. It is all these crazy monsters from all these different movies. I mean, the Universal movie was famously was like the first cinematic universe. I'm not talking about the dark universe that was kick-started by Tom Cruise's The Mummy and has yet to have the second <laughs> film in the series. We can only assume it's coming. With this, you've got, here are all the monsters, all, and that was what they did, you know, in those um, Universal Monsters, after they'd given them all their individual movies, they were all coming together, and then they did the comedy ones with Abbott and Costello, where they were then meeting Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and the Wolfman and the Mummy and the, well, everyone always puts The Creature from the Black Lagoon in it, but The Creature from the Black Lagoon was actually like 20 years after those films. On top of that, you're giving them all these action scenes. You're also giving them, as you said... And then we just get, like, a a five, six, seven-minute musical dance number in the middle of it. Yeah, that's awesome. In many ways, it seems almost like um, the way that they describe what Indian cinema Bollywood does, in that they will just jump genre to genre every half an hour. And there's song and dance numbers, and there's action sequences, and there's romantic comedies, and everything and it's a musical but it's also a superhero movie and it's also <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's sort of what this becomes as well like that me mu- the musical is so crazy. the dance sequence is so crazy because it's painted as if they are in the restaurant yeah santo santo's professor friend and the professor friend's daughter santo's um far too young female partner or at least you know who? But is apparently in an open relationship.
1: <laughs> not that she knows about.
0: <laughs> and it's implied that they're watching this like it's after dinner theatre. It's like dinner theatre. Yeah. You know, but this is not Krusty the Clown doing King Lear. <laughs> Ugh, tough crowd. They're booing Shakespeare. The thing that drives me crazy in that scene is that you can see like the ceiling of this restaurant in the shots. But the theatre is clearly...
1: It's massive, isn't it?
0: It's massive. massive. It's absolutely... It's like the London Palladium or something for stage Uh, size. But it's meant to be part of this random, like, regular Mexico City restaurant. I have a
1: slight theory about that dancing. I've done no research into this. This is all off the top of my head. I have a theory that that dancing was put in because they wanted to get some Mexican Cultural Council funding to finish the picture. And I had no other way of segueing in this scene. So it's like, but they go they go to dinner, all right? They're just at dinner and the dancing's there. All right, just that's it.
0: I, I mean, to be fair, there are films that do these sort of musical interludes. But they're usually musicals. <laughs> you know, like if you see Singing in the Rain, there's like a whole... Site, like, uh, ballet sequence of 15 minutes that's played up like a dream sequence. Yeah. So you got, like, the um the elephants on parade in the middle of Dumbo. I love those things in the film, but they just have to fit in. But I think with this, it's not so much... I don't think it's the Mexican council. I think you're giving it too much credit. I think it's just the notion is, let's throw everything at this so that people will be entertained. If they don't like the wrestling, then they've got the monsters. If they don't like the monsters, you know, if, that like, the mamas had to, like, all their kids... The kids have forced her to go and see the film with them. Well, at least let's give them a five-minute song and dance number that's quite... That it's good. I enjoyed it in, in in itself. It was just like, why is this in the middle of a movie about a Mexican wrestler fighting <laughs> supernatural horror characters from novels written in the 19th century? <laughs>
1: See, now I've just got the Garth Marenghi bit in my head. Some of the episodes were running as much as seven minutes under. So anything that wasn't dialogue was considered for slow motion.
0: <laughs> there is a Garth Marenghi energy too. Yes, you're right, yes. actually.
1: Uh, you did say earlier that these films have their place. And I was thinking about that because I looked back after watching this film. Like, When would I have watch this film not for this. When would I what in what scenario would I have encountered it? And like say I was a teenager, like having like chilling out with some friends, like sleeping over somewhere. And like you, you just wanted a movie on whilst you were doing something else. Like I don't know, playing like playing PlayStation or just like chatting or drinking or whatever. You didn't want a movie to uh have to concentrate on. You just wanted content. I think that's what this movie is. I think if you had... If Al Santo was a 2022 figure, aside from getting cancelled for, you know, his womanising, potentially, this would be a Netflix kind of thing. Like, because it's just content. It's just fun, wacky content. That doesn't... There, it's just empty calories in terms of a film. It's ju- It's just there. It just exists.
0: I think as a kid I would have enjoyed this. I mean, I probably wouldn't have been able to tolerate just how poor quality the picture is. But if it was of an equal picture quality to when I was watching Adam West Batman as a kid, I mean, I loved that show. And I didn't love it ironically. I legit loved it. I loved the villains. I loved the costumes. I loved the action sequences. And that's one of the things I think really shines in this film. Because, like, I re-watched the Bond films a couple of years ago. And you want to talk about action... For as low budget as this is, sometimes they're just like, right, we're locking the camera down and we're just gonna watch these Mexican wrestlers have a wild brawl in a Mexican wrestling in a in a, in a restaurant. It's like a proto hardcore match <laughs> brawl. Falls count anywhere. Because I loved some of the wrestling fighting. Like, not they showed the match. I mean, the opening match that we see is like a uh, masked lady wrestlers yeah. <laughs> and. And then we get a blue demon match, which is like psych- the psychology is all over the place with that one. I didn't understand what no, the hell was I couldn't, going I couldn't on with this. But when it was actually just El Santo incorporating his. Ma- it makes sense almost that you would employ the greatest fighter in the world to also be the person to take on these monsters. And I really. I'll tell you one thing I really liked was how the brawling was done. Like the open palm strikes that they would do. I thought they threw them really well. And like the only Bond fight scene from this period of time that I can think of that was, like, could be considered, like, a, an equal to this would be the uh, Sean Connery against uh, Red Grant in the um, From Russia With Love train carriage sequence. And that still had men and, you know, cuts, and, and it was all within the confines of the train carriage, which is a different thing. Whereas with... This is just like I said, it's a wide shot, plonk the camera down and just let them go at it. And there is kind of an improvisationary nature at times. It doesn't feel synchronized like a lot of movie fight scenes can feel like in those oh, it's days. Not choreographed. Like it feels like there's more Yeah, there's feel well, I mean it's Mexican wrestling, but it's more just like the choreography is inbuilt within just Mexican wrestling. It's just what you do. In Mexican wrestling, I suppose, <laughs> and you know, there's re- they're finding out creative ways to do reverse monkey flips and everything in the middle of an actual fight.
1: El Santo doing an axe handle off of his car onto one of the monsters—that's that that's seared into my brain.
0: <laughs> yes, and this is quite old El Santo. He's fifty-three at this point. I think Blue Demon's maybe in his forties at this stage as well. But you know, they've got the typical Mexican barrel-chested. Quite short stature. That was one of the other things I was thinking was quite amusing. Was that the nerdy scientist accomplice is by far the, the tallest person in the whole movie? He's like six foot four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you could t- they, were, they were like, "Do we make him a hunchback?" I'm like, "Well, that's just not going to work." <laughs> well, that's well, the, but they made the little person a hunchback, yeah. so he's like, a, so he's the like the the Igor character because they, want, they, know, they wanted they
1: wanted an eagle, but I guess they they couldn't either they miscast or. They were just like, look, he's the only bloke that wants to do this.
0: <laughs> you could, you could just do the thing where you laugh at it all, and it is. Silly, but there, there are, there's moments that kind of shocked me, and I think in this 1970 audience, Mexican audience, like there's a bit where the Wolfman comes along, and he, I'll give that guy credit. He was committing to the role. Some of them, the Mummy didn't seem to be up for it. The Dracula, he was like 1991 Undertaker. He had like one move, and he stuck so, to that yeah. move for his whole yeah. run. He was just going for the neck. Just going for the neck He was like Tanahashi going for the neck He was <laughs> determined To get that neck Dragon screws But there was a moment Where I think it's the wolfman He like kills Like a father and a mother Yeah And the the child runs away In the midst of it He like stamps on the guy's Face Yeah It's like the lift scene In Drive It's insane What happens in that moment.
1: Yeah He really does Go for it The, uh, the wolfman In that scene Yeah
0: does not hide the Kensington gore. The thing that um,
1: confuses me about that is that's like the introducing. You know when I had the credits at the start? It's introducing, and I forgot the name of the child, but he was the the introducing. He's in it for one scene. The only thing I can think of that's sort of close to that is Tropic Thunder, where it's the child uh, who runs the gang who's the introducing. I can't think of a single thing he's been in
0: since. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, we'll have to look him up on IMDb. He might have been in tons of stuff. Uh I mean maybe he was like maybe that was El Hijo del Santo. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe that was a way of thinking it could be actually. That'd be a nice, <laughs> nice sweet thing for Santo to do, I guess. Another thing that I love is how do they how do they put the wrestling back into it in the middle of it? And that is in the middle of it, Dracula challenges him to a match. <laughs> 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 you got Dracula being like. Warmed up in in like the lock. I love the idea that he turned up in the locker room and he's pacing and he's in the gorilla position, yep. waiting to be called. <laughs> but what is most amazing about that is they get the actor and he's got like this sort of pale white body paint put on him throughout the whole movie. And then as soon as they put a, and then they put a mask on, it's like why are they putting a mask on Dracula? Yeah. And obviously the reason is so that he can be replaced by an actual Mexican wrestler who is clearly of a completely different <laughs> skin tone to Dracula. And what I love is that it's a two out of three falls match. Yep. And he submits in the first fall to a camel clutch. It's like, uh, Dracula's thinking. He's thinking I've got to preserve <laughs> my energy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to save my strength. You know what they should have done? Because at several points in the movie, they do, like, Blue Demon and, and Santo. Or at one point, he's, bite, he's literally trying to bite Santo in that match. And then uh, the professor's daughter comes to the ringside area. And he realizes that she's got a cross on, necklace on. And so that repels him Whoa. away. I think he turns into a bat at that point.
1: <laughs> That's the one thing that saves her in that um, massive chase scene they have through that house. Uh, it's that massive gravestone that's
0: cross shaped that saves her that's like that's an interesting sequence well obviously imagine if it was a tag team match and Dracula's partner's being pinned and he comes in to break the fall and then he realizes because of the way that a pinned person is across a a lying down person he can't do anything because it's cross shaped
1: and he's gone for the crucifix roll up. I'm out of here. <laughs>
0: Wow, I've never, i never seen anyone submit to the crucifix. Before. <laughs> but there we go. <laughs>
1: First time for everything, I guess.
0: Again, if you're just someone who paid whatever small amount of money it was to get into the cinemas in those days, and you just sat there and you were cheering along, it must have been a lot of fun. I would have thought. And this is probably the most bonkers of all of them. It's just, cause it's just, it's like an Avengers situation. Let's just throw as many things into the thing as we into the film as we can. Um, so part of me wishes that we could have done an earlier one. I think the one that's seen as like his great film is uh, like about a female vampire, I believe, because it was so- he was sold to non-Mexican audiences. Sometimes he was referred to as Samson in the dubbed versions of these movies. And Jonathan Ross, like I said, like did a whole documentary about it. I watched like the first ten minutes of it or so, yeah. And he was genuinely curious about it. More just like I think Jonathan Ross just finds anything kitsch kind of interesting and um, pop cultural curiosities that mean something in one culture means something entirely different to another culture yeah i mean i would not be surprised if there is a, a mexican at least one lucha libre match that did get featured on mystery science theater 3000 i might be worth looking up but, um, so yeah, I'd like to go back to some older ones to see if maybe they were a bit more grounded than this. Yeah. Or if they were always this bonkers. Yeah, it's a bit like Roger
1: <laughs> Moore, uh, level James Bond. Yes,
0: yes, very much so.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, there's just, like, a camp excitable energy to it. And that's fine, like, like I say, we've not really talked about the plot, but because, the, the, unlike the other movies we've covered... This isn't trying to tell us a story this is just trying to entertain us,
0: yeah and it's not trying to say something about professional wrestling or the culture of professional wrestling like say something like war like panthers meant to be about British you know like the deprived yeah. areas that used to grow up when Britain was great you know that right, element yeah. to it whereas this is just using wrestling as part of a as part of just like a whole spectacle essentially taking trying to take the wonders of the ma- arena and I do love the sight I mean you can clearly it's just documentary footage they haven't paid a thousand extras outside arena mexico to cheer on El Santo as he enters the arena in his mask they are literally there yeah cheering him
1: on but on the flip side if that footage is available like it's all going to be genuine because people loved El Santo so might as yeah. well use it
0: yeah 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 so it's a brief moment it's like kind of like almost seeing you know, the the Beatles getting chased in a hard day's night. It's a little yeah. bit like that, getting that grasp of their place in the culture. I, I can't say that it was all fun though, especially if you're watching I think again, if you're watching it with some mates, like watching the room, you know, sitting together and, and having a laugh at it, then that's one experience. But I mean I had to break it up halfway through. I was kind of it it's it's eighty two minutes and it feels long. It feels like a long eighty two minutes. I think because there is that sense of a lack of propulsion of, of movement, it's like They could have just got to the lair at any point during this thing. (laughs) You know, like, El Santo drives... It's just, let's have a scene where El Santo... We need to have a scene where El Santo's fighting in the park, so let's just have the Lady Vampire. I love that scene, though, because she comes... She's just in the car, and she's like, Want to take me somewhere? And El Santo's like, Yeah, okay. And then he drives her to the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, yeah. mm. is he quite the Santo he says he is? And
1: it's <laughs> the car he's driving isn't exactly the kind of car that you can like fling around corners on dirt roads. It's it's very much a luxury <laughs> car. It's 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 not like he's even going to show her, her his sick handbrake turn or anything like that, or his Scandi flick.
0: So yeah, I think like for a rating, I'd waver somewhere between two and three. I think I would go three, just because. Like if you just look at it as a film for a quality of a film, it's probably a one. In that it's a bad film. But like I said, the action sequences, they are quite entertaining. There is a kitschy humour to it, and it does feel like you're entering into a different culture and you're maybe not getting all the resources and maybe the translated subtitles aren't as perfect as they could be. I don't know. Well this
1: this this is where I think I struggled compared to you, because a little peek behind the curtain to you all listeners. I don't have YouTube Premium, but Lorcan does. One of the problems I had, and I didn't catch it straight away while watching this, is after every ad break, sometimes the subtitles would turn off. And on the first time, I initially thought, oh, they've just not done this bit. So some of the bits of the film I watched, I didn't actually have the English version of what they were saying. I think you get the grasp of what they were doing. (laughs) though somehow... Well, I, I thought I'd persevere because I can see it. Like, it's, it's pretty easy to figure out. And then when the next ad break came on and the subtitles came back, I'm like, oh, that's
0: what I've done. Do you have any random observations? There's one I'd really like towards the start where a woman, go- where a woman goes missing, I think. I think she's murdered. And there's the newspaper headline. But the subheadline is so long. You're like, is that the article? And it's just... Why did you put your hand over? Oh, it's an unrelated article. It's an unrelated article. Within the banner heading.
1: Yes. (laughs) Got it. There is one thing that bothers me. Not bothers me a lot, but you could tell they had a fake severed head and they were dying to use it because in the final one of the... Yeah, the final assault on the lair Uh, Al Santo has a mace and decapitates someone with an uppercut and one of the green guys' heads go rolling and it's like, well, we've spent the money, use it, but we
0: don't have an axe. I said just just use it, alright? Just use it. I need to justify this cost. Two more observations I realised because I actually texted one of them to you and I'll do another one. If you want to realise what this might have inspired, the uh, Hulk Hogan against the Dungeon of Doom storyline in 1995 WCW. (laughs) You know, The Mummy is not a million miles away from the Yeti, yeti, as far as that goes. (laughs) Nor is the set that the Dungeon of Doom all conspire against Hogan that much different. But the other one was, I love because they, they basically do like a, you know, it's like a movie, an- a wrestling angle within the movie because he's fighting Dracula and before he can win the match, his henchmen all invade yeah. the ring and start beating him up. And what I loved, one of the observations I was making throughout it all, is that the referee's still in the ring. <laughs> Why is he still in the ring when all this is going on?
1: I think you called it the uh, ultimate show of professionalism in our messages before this.
0: <laughs> and and professionalism does not seem to be what a lot of Mexican wrestling referees are like. No. In all honesty.
1: Or commentators if recent pictures of uh, commentary desks from Triple uh, E Mania uh, are anything to go by.
0: I love also the... Um, because El Santo comes up with this idea of attaching a device to the Frankenstein's monster's neck. And the <laughs> the subtitle translations for that scene say, he's put an electric vibrator on his neck. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I was like, "Oh, hello. He's enjoying it far too much.
1: <laughs> I mean, I am going to make a joke about how vibrations on the head of something can actually be rather pleasurable, but... Well, I've done it now.
0: <laughs> well, we've done it for this episode. I think it was a it was a hell of an experience. We weren't. We may do more El Santo matches, obviously. I suppose because Mexican res- It's so funny that Mexican wrestling. You can tell how prominent it is that people who don't know much about wrestling know that there's a difference between Mexican wrestling and, I guess, what they would call American wrestling. Yeah, you know they know that there's a difference, and obviously there's Nacho Libre. You could do. In, for a future episode as well I, I don't know but um, I was going to say there's a Armor
1: episode as well that just reminds me of like the foreigner and like all the different things
0: yeah 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 so yeah this is not the last uh, El Santo movie we'll cover and we will also cover an El Santo match for match of the week at some point but for our next episode it will be match of the week and it will follow down this thematic path but it will not be El Santo we'll be discussing it will be El Hijo del Santo um, we will be discussing a match from the 19th of September 1997 as is so many Lucha Libre matches it's the best 2 out of 3 falls match and it will be El Hijo Del Santo facing one of the other greats of Mexican wrestling from this time Negro Casas oh yeah <laughs> that'll be the match we'll be talking about next week unless there are any Dave Meltzer 5 star ratings coming our way in the interim but until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you about other Lucha Libre movies, how can they do so? Uh, they can
1: get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending so out a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of plates that were set down for the meal where we saw all that lovely, lovely dancing.
0: My name is Lorcan Munn, and that's L O R C A N M U L L A for the A at the end of Dracula. N for the N at the end of Demon. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you fancy throwing a few pesos into the ring, metaphorically speaking, like with many Lucha Libre matches to show your appreciation, then by all means go to our patreon.com slash lmtyspod and become a member there. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that Mi amo es Locan Mullen, gracias por dejarnos de crita algo, pasala genial y hasta la próxima que se cierre el balcón.